0: Sequelcast 2 and Friends is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network.
1: For more information, go to greenlitpodcast.com.
0: Danny is not beat.
1: Sarah is right. Our one tactical advantage is that the Terminator only sees its mission. Wherever Danny goes, he will follow. Damn right it will, and I will be there.
0: After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. Jason X to police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast, and they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast, and your hosts have
1: asked that I inform you that the show will now begin.
0: Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley-Sherge, uh, with me is Alex.
2: Hello, I am here to terminate you, but I am undergoing a software update, so
1: I am buffering. And Thrasher. Hello, this is a piece of audio I recorded for our T2 podcast.
0: Yeah, and, uh, you know, this is kind of a, a an episode to, to catch up Um on stuff we've done in the past that have had sequels. And, uh, you know, a few years ago, we looked at the Terminator films, uh, this before he brought on Alex full time on the show, but you know, this is the sixth film Terminator, dark fate. And, um, as I'm looking at the, the poster that's on Wikipedia, it says, welcome to the day after judgment day. And it's, it, it does have a trend. You, you see in a lot of sequels where it's like, we're just going to ignore the sequels that didn't do as well. I yeah. and and this is the real one guys and you know it it gets uh uh input from people that worked on like the the old school entries and yet this was like one of the lowest uh grossing terminators uh yet i mean by by a wide margin i'm looking at the the gross and um you know this one made less than terminator salvation which was the fourth one uh Actually, the third highest-grossing Terminator film was the last one, uh, Terminator Genesis, which I like with its crazy uh, time travel stuff.
2: And that's the one I haven't actually seen. And as you know, what it was is that David Gordon Green's Halloween of 2018 did really good because they ignored all the sequels and got the original director of the first one to produce it.
0: Mm-hmm. And they did the
2: same exact thing here. Yeah, they got John, uh, you know, James, uh, um, James Cameron on board. And then they basically ignored, what, three through five, right?
1: Well, I mean, this is a a respectable sequel, but I think it does suffer because there were two other sequels before it. And even then, all three of these movies were, this and the two previous Terminators were all meant to start new trilogies that still, that never materialized. Yeah, exactly.
0: I mean, this one is a lot less uh, exposition heavy than Terminator uh, Genesis which has all these uh, timeline things. And I mean, yeah, I, I have really mixed feelings about this and I'll, I'll go into it, but I, I, I don't know. I just think the audience is like very tired of, of Terminator at this point. Like I, I, saw Terminator three in the theaters and that was, you know, over a decade after T2, people were really excited for that one. And uh, then I'm not sure. I think they just kind of shit the bed. They kept on trying to do these sequels, and nobody really cared. They, they did fine, but it just wasn't whatever lofty eagles people had in mind.
1: Well, maybe that's the lesson that should be learned here, is that you must have at least 10 years between each Terminator movie to make the experience satisfying.
2: Well, it's funny because um, I remember when T3 came out, I wasn't as movie savvy as I am now. But I remember my first question was, did James Cameron direct it? And I heard no, so I said, well, fuck it, I'm not going to see it. And then a fourth one came out, and then a fifth one came out, and then James Cameron didn't have anything to do with them, so I never saw any of them. I'm just like, because I love the first two movies like so much, like I geek out about them all the time. And then I found out, like, okay, they're doing a David Gordon Green thing with the new Terminator, I'll watch 3, 4, and 5, even though I know they have nothing to do with it. I felt like I needed to like, complete the cycle, but I never got around to 5 before watching this in preparation for this episode.
0: Well, really um, quick, what do you think about 3 and 4?
2: I dug 3. I had a lot of fun with 4 because 4 just kind of plays like an old school like war movie just with, you know, Mm -hmm. robots and stuff. Uh, 3 was a little too cutesy. It was still good, but it was like trying a little too hard to be fun. But um, I enjoyed both of them. I never got around to 5. I don't know why. I just didn't have time for it.
0: Yeah, um, I, I do like for this when they got Sarah Connor back, uh, with uh, Linda Hamilton. She had semi retired from acting and they had to do a lot to convince her to do this. But, but, uh, Jim Cameron's uh, involvement, uh, who they used to be married for a, a time, um, is you know, helped that happen. And they really make her look a lot older than she looks in real life in this.
1: That's something. Very... I... I really appreciated just the fact that she was allowed to age for this movie. Yeah, and I think they're playing up that,
2: like, she's, like, you know, probably had a very stressful life. Mm Mm-hmm. Than actual Linda Hamilton has, you know.
0: And speaking of which, I mean, they did some misleading stuff going into the movie. I mean, you know, that's sort of promotion, right? You want to make, get excited, and at one point, Jim Cameron said, oh, yeah, we got, uh edward furlong he's back at as but i mean it's really just like this brief motion capture thing at the beginning but as far as oh go on
2: oh it's just funny because it's like you know forget everything that happened in three four and five this is like the real terminator from like you know 1992 and then it's like just kidding like forget about
1: it well well, that's That's what this movie needs. Instead of the Sarah Connor narration, it needs the Stan Lee narration from Toxic Avenger 4, Citizen Toxic. Oh, boy. We're sorry about the two sequels, so here's the real sequel. Basically. I wish it could be that honest. (laughs)
0: Stan Lee narration would prove a lot of things. Um, Anyone ever see the... TV show of Sir Connor Chronicles. I've seen some of it, and it's actually pretty good.
1: It completely passed yeah, me by, but I've heard the same thing.
0: You know, it was yeah, around the copy. time of Lost and, and stuff. A lot of different TV heroes, you know, a lot of different stuff was on TV at that time. What was that, Alex?
2: I, I, I own a copy of it. It's sitting on my coffee table, but I haven't actually gotten around to watching it yet.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think you'd... Go on.
1: I think what kept me away... It's just I like, thought. Oh well, this is going to be a monster of the week series with a Do ter- Terminator every week. This can't possibly work. <laughs> Although I've I've heard that that's not what it is, so that's good.
0: No, it's more of the overarching storyline kind of thing, and the um the the lady that was in Game of Thrones is is in it. One of the um it's Cersei, that actress mm-hmm. is uh, Connor. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way this movie starts it, with the, with the Bane killing off John Connor, uh, they've been doing this whole CG de aging thing a lot lately, and um I think this one's pretty good. And it's ballsy that they do it in like daylight.
1: Yeah, I, I right? will give I will give this movie credit that I was not expecting a young John Connor to get killed, but just the fact that the the fact that you know that that because that's that's been that's been like the theme through so many of these movies is a robot's going to try to kill a young person. The fact that they finally did it that had that had some intense impact. That was an amazing scene, and the movie never quite recaptures that going forward.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, you open up, you get like a John Connor gets a freaking shotgun to the chest, not once but twice, mind you. That's like as dead as you can get. You know, that's a uh, pretty, that's uh, some cojones you got there movie.
0: Right. I was uh, reading some behind the scenes stuff and Linda Hamilton was pretty upset that they didn't use her for motion capture. Really? And, um, didn't take her input for how her character would have reacted, but they did with Schwarzenegger and not that Schwarzenegger did the motion capture either, but he was able to do some, um, had to redo some of the facial reactions and things to get the Terminator look that's not exactly stiff, but he does these, he's always done these little robotic things with how he the neck and the eyes. And uh, to have that as the way to start the movie, then it goes in present day. I mean, I mean, the big gimmick in most of these movies is there's a new Terminator of some kind. And I don't they do get what they're doing. Uh, yes. And I don't get what they, what's the big deal with this one. The Rev-9. Ooh, it splits in two. And he's really fast.
1: That yeah. could have... It, it's it's weird because they, they've already done the... It's both a Metal Skeleton Terminator and a Liquid Terminator at the same time. So this one, they just give it the superpower that it can duplicate itself. I kind of wish they had. I kind of wish they had taken that farther. Like it should have been assembling copies of itself from local technology or something, and just sending out, out drones. I, I just like the. It, it's it's a half step. It is a it is a half step to a better, more dangerous, more thrilling Terminator uh, in this one. But we but something something else I noticed because we do get very early on a glimpse of of the future. Well, as you always do, where you got those Terminators marching out of the ocean, which is a pretty nice shot, except the beach that they're marching out onto is made up entirely of skulls. There's no femurs, <laughs> there's no ribs, there's no metatarsals, it's just all skulls, which makes me wonder, are the Terminators just lining up the skulls?
0: <laughs> Did, yeah, they so- I, I don't... And they must have pretty good balance to walk on top of skulls. You know, that's sort of a, a round shape on top. It's tough to k- keep your balance. I'm always thinking of a but there was a, a video of it might have been a robot from um, hmm, Sony or, or something at a Japanese press conference, and they show it's humanoid and it can walk upstairs, and it goes up two stairs, and loses its balance and falls sideways. Oh yes. There's all these little things that make it so difficult. Um but <laughs> with the Rev Nine, I mean maybe they could have given it limited teleportation or something. Like something to because the way it moves when it especially when it starts jumping, to me it looks really cartoony. I'm reminded more of Spider-Man than Terminator.
2: Yeah, I think yeah. um some of the effects here are kind of like they resorted to a lot of digital photography, I think, in order... It makes, you know, uh, image the special effects uh, work, I think, much, you know, much smoother. But I think, like, um, while while I don't want to be one of those snobby, like, oh, I don't like digital, um, there were a few moments where, like, the overt, uh, like, you know, use of digital photography took me out a little bit. It felt a little less cinematic, whereas the uh, other Terminator films are hugely cinematic because it's James Cameron. Um... But yeah, some of the times, like you said, when the Rev-9's jumping around and stuff, you can kind of see it's a little patchy, you know, it looks a little cartoonish.
1: Well, I think I, I, think I know what that is, is uh, that all of the films before this do a really good job of making it seem like the Terminators are big, heavy things. Like, even, even in previous CGI Terminators, there's always been a sense that, well, this, this metal thing weighs a lot more than a human being. And the problem with the Rev-9 is the moment it starts to jump, it's as if it suddenly weighs absolutely nothing and you you want to feel the weight of its big metal body every time it takes an action
0: not just how it jumps Definitely. but how it lands is just strange and and you have um i, I mean the actor that plays the uh, rev 9 uh, played by Gabriel Luna like the actor's fine and he looks intense looking i'm not sure what else you're supposed to do as a Terminator. I, I, it's a bit surprising they never had uh, a bad guy Terminator in these movies be another kind of bodybuilder type like Schwarzenegger. You,
1: you know, I, he he has the same kind of weird vacant stare menace that Schwarzenegger had in the first film and that the T2 had in the t the the liquid metal terminator had in Mm -hmm, t2 mm and i and i think and honestly i think that's good like uh, you can it's it's dangerous to give the terminator too much personality so i think i think overall performance wise i think this is a very the rev 9 is a very successful character
2: yeah he does very good robot acting and also it's like i don't think we buy the large muscle man as like the embodiment of strength anymore like this is like your crossfit era terminator you know what i mean like the, the yeah. lean mean aesthetic is kind lean, of yes. the 90s. yeah
0: exactly and um as marketing made clear and uh it kind of goes with james cameron has a lot of strong female characters you know this is a very female centric movie with the leads you have sarah connor who's in the movie played by linda hamilton we've talked about that already a, a bit um and she's in the movie more than I thought. I saw her in the trailer, and I thought, oh, is she just going to pop up for one or two scenes? But she's in it for most of it. Uh, Even doing some of her own stunts. But you have actresses I'm really not that familiar with doing the other parts. You have Mackenzie Davis is Grace. Um, and Nat- Natalia Reyes as Danny. Uh, what do we think about these characters?
1: All, all right. So Grace... I I like Grace. I like the idea behind Grace. But up to a certain point having both Grace and Sarah Connor on screen it very often seems redundant because they are both they are both very much the same kind of grizzled experienced uh sort of warrior woman type character. The only main difference is Sarah Connor is very bitter and cynical and Grace is just sarcastic and this the sarcasm doesn't doesn't really work for me i always i always felt like if you had experienced the wonder that is time travel regardless of circumstances that would wash away your sarcasm and cynicism because <laughs> because you quite literally would have just been handed a second chance like like the sarcasm and cynicism does not seem to work with that um but oh but um but danny uh this sort of uh, anonymous uh factory worker uh from mexico i i liked her character you can really see danny grow throughout this movie and i like i like the arc that she has and i like the small twist they put in on the usual future savior uh dynamic that runs through these films
0: Yeah, they make that pretty explicit too with uh, some of the dialogue from uh, Sarah Connor. Uh, I, I like that um, Grace is you know muscular, but as you mentioned, Alex, kind of the P ninety X thing, like muscular but lean, kind of the modern standards. And and Danny, she starts up kind of quiet and nervous and scared and all these things. But I mean, it's it's more realistic what an actual person would do, and she does. Uh, there's one scene where they do show kind of in the future where she meets uh, Grace and, and rescues her as a um, kind of starving child and for that I, I think they could have aged her up a bit more but she does come across as more of like the commando type in that future pit so well, she
1: she looks like a year has passed for her yeah it doesn't seem like
0: enough or? I mean like, she does a good job with the voice doing the maturity and with the, the posture and stuff but just the, the look
1: well, you know what she needs in the future. She needs a wicked scar and a gray streak in her hair. Yeah, mm-hmm. like a bandana, a scar, and like yeah,
2: a streak of gray would sum it up pretty
1: well. Yeah.
2: I like the introduction of the characters, though, because one thing I think one of the few, I mean, I obvious, uh, you know, story arcs, I one of the few strains of credibility in the previous films are that all these like incredible huge set pieces happen like kind of away from the public. They're kind of divorced from reality a little bit. Here, you have two Terminators throwing down into a loaded factory in broad daylight. And like, you know, throughout the mo- film and, and the ensuing action, you know, you have like law enforcement and the authorities intervening. And I felt like that was something missing from previous films where as, you know, you have all these like, you know, tankers blowing up and, you know, trucks exploding and shit like that. And, you know, no one really seems to catch on whatever that's movies. I get it. But I think um, that was an interesting play on the credibility factor. And this is that it feels a little more uh, like in plain sight, you
1: know, yeah, you know, well I always I always felt that in the pre- in the previous films that that you know you, the Terminator's always sent back in time to change the past, but obviously you don't want to change the past too much lest yeah. you, you know, screw up your own timeline. So I always assumed that was that's the in-movie justification for the budgetary limitations of well let's just not have any extras in these combat scenes, let's put them out of the way, uh so that they're not difficult to get these locations. And yet, in this movie, I really do appreciate that none of the action pieces take place in a vacuum. Not only that, those the action set pieces really truly inhabit their locations. Like when Danny's being pursued in the car factory, I just love the I love the juxtaposition of juxtaposition of here are all these people working with machines who work alongside robots who are now being slaughtered by a much better <laughs> robot built in a similar factory from the future.
0: Yeah, and I mean you have a lot of, of set pieces with um, surprising amount where they're in an airplane being pursued in a helicopter, um, they're in like at this dam where the the car is dangling off. It feels a bit like the gag in the Lost World, uh, the second Jurassic Park movie, where the oh, yeah. the truck is uh, dangling off the edge of the cliff, um, and and of course the climax is you know as these movies typically have around this kind of dangerous machinery um, as all the machines fight. Um, and, and, of course, we got uh, Schwarzenegger is back as T-800, <clears throat> as one of the T-800s, the one that kills John from the beginning, as it turns out. And he he tries to give, I think, more of like a, a character performance. And he has a little bit of humor, which which helps. Uh, but I'm not sure he needed to be here. I, I don't think Schwarzenegger. Uh, no offense to him, but he's not the draw he used to be,
1: and well, he, he doesn't need to be in this movie at all, except as this kind of like legacy character to tie it into the rest of the franchise. Although that that being we have said, that I'm a... Sarah
0: Connor. I mean, you...
1: yeah, but I'm a real sucker for stories about robots finding humanity, and I love like. I love that this, this sort of whole idea that, you know, this, this T-800, like all of them, was sent back in time to, to kill John Connor. He succeeded. And that's where his programming ends. Like, so, oh, well, now I'm stuck in the past, and I have no compulsion to do anything. So he just kind of, like, wander, wanders the world, meets a woman, not necessarily falls in love, but, like, builds a normal life for himself, I, I find that to be, like, a really fascinating dynamic. And I love how they even point out, you have a kid! It's like, no, my genitals are inoperable. My relationship with my wife is not physical. Uh, she he is my stepson. <laughs> but, like, I love this attempt that this robot is is making to sort of live this American dream sort of life. It's really, it's kind of touching in a way.
0: when he starts his own drapery business, he has that line of dialogue where it's like... uh a little girl, you'd never want to have solid colors in drapery. That's a mistake. Have <laughs> balloons, have have uh, little animals on it.
1: Well, I guess, I guess, like, you know, he his telemetry, his built-in telemetry programming makes him really good at interior design.
0: And he says he's efficient at changing diapers. I thought that's funny. Um,
1: yeah, without complaints.
0: Did he like Schwarzenegger in this, Alex?
2: Oh, yeah. And I think the thing, too, is that, like, I guess if you know, as far as credibility goes in the franchise, you kind of need them. And if you have Linda Hamilton, you kind of have to have. If you have Sarah Connor, you kind of have to have the T eight hundred. You know, like they both kind of like a mutually like include one another. So I guess like, you know, if you have Linda Hamilton, you have to have Schwarzenegger, and have Schwarzenegger, you have to have Linda Hamilton. So like, there are two narratives that are just kind of colliding with this other uh, narrative because they kind of have to, which is well, which is fine.
1: Although I will say I do I do appreciate this dynamic they set up where Sarah Connor r- rightfully truly despises uh, Carl the T eight hundred and re- and you know refuses to trust him and how Carl just kind of doesn't care. Um, but on top on top of this though, like there is this whole thing where you find out that Sarah Connor has been since since John Connor was killed. Sarah Connor has been this kind of globetrotting Terminator hunter because she gets these anonymous texts from her phone with GPS coordinates and a time, and that's when a Terminator transitions in from the future, and so she just ambushes them and, and kills them, and you come to find out those texts have been coming from Carl. Carl has been helping her sort of facilitate her Terminator hunting, um, because he can detect the weird tachyon pulses or whatever that precede a, an arrival from the future. Uh, and so, so I guess, you know, from like, as far as the architecture of the, of the, of the story goes, you know, that, that works, although it, it raises, can can we talk about Time travel for a second? yeah oh yes all right so 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 every every terminator movie kind of changes the rules of time travel a little each film and i can accept that but this film has the most bonkers time travel that really raises a hell of a lot of questions so all right so the terminators have been trying to kill john connor because john connor is the one who's defeating the robots in the future well in this one they did kill john connor but apparently the robots are still defeated in the future, but then are still sending robots back in time. So the other, who the hell are the other Terminators trying to kill? Or, or, or does it turn out that, that anybody could have taken the John Connor role? And so they're just killing whoever fills that role now in the new revised future. But then on top of that, we find out that the Rev nine is not a traditional Terminator, It's a Terminator from a future where a different supercomputer network achieved artificial intelligence and started taking over the world and then started getting defeated by a human revolutionary. So so it means not only does a different future, completely different future, happen, but that the AI in that future comes up with the same plan, sent a time-traveling murder bot back in time to kill, to kill the revolutionary leader before they get a chance to start the revolution. (laughs) And, and it's, 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 you know what it is? It's, it's one too many notes. And I, I I feel like there should be a little bit more science fictional justification for all this. Like, you know, maybe quantum computing is what makes these AIs possible, but maybe because it's quantum computing, that's what makes the AI inventing time machine inevitable or something. It's just like, why is the only future we get the killer time travel robot future, no matter what happens?
2: And I I asked myself the same question. And what I arrived at was a very cynical but very understandable explanation. It's one of those things where, like, if there wasn't Steve Jobs, would we have Apple? Um, We might they might be called pear or watermelon or something but we still have that same design so we're living in a world where our own you know demolition or our own you know extinction is basically predetermined it just takes different forms you know what i mean so without skynet sure humanity saved, but like eh, for like 20 years and well, then you know Ynet takes over you know whatever the fuck it's called and i guess well, that's why we have uh, yeah rev 9
1: well, it reminds me of this delightful sort of time travel thought experiment that, that had, was posed. I wish I, I wish I could credit this properly, um, but uh, it was posed by a science fiction author or, or, or physicist where, where essentially the notion is, is okay, if time travel is possible and it is possible to change the past, time travel will never happen because eventually an, the right changes will be made to the past that prevent time travel from being invented. And I, yes, feel like, I, I feel like there's been so much time travel in this movie, in this franchise, it's reached that point. At some point, time travel should just not get invented.
2: Right, it's one of those things where we would have to go back so far to the point where we like live a like, pre-technological civilization, because <laughs> like, that's the only way mankind can proliferate, you know what I mean? Like,
1: well, I guess I don't the, the other that, thing is... You know, uh, Sarah Connor's been destroying Terminators, and I guess presumably leaving their metal bodies lying around for decades. Surely that critical mass of future robot corpses has screwed with Earth's technological development at this point, since we know from T2 that anyone could scoop those parts up and extrapolate future technology from it. Like, maybe that's, maybe that's why we got a different future robot. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: I mean, I was thinking technology
1: accidentally prevented the invention of Skynet, but then did create the invention of whatever the hell this future robots called.
0: (laughs) I mean, you guys talking had me thinking one thing this movie is lacking that, um, you know, Terminator and and, and T2 had in particular was in the storyline You get a, a more clear idea of what things happen to make the post-apocalyptic future the way it is. And you had you know, Skynet as a driving part of, of the story. And this, they just kind of, you know, they give it a different name, but they just give it lip service. And I think it makes the story seem kind of more bare bones. I mean, much like the first two Terminator movies, at the end of the day, this is a chase movie, right, where they're being chased the whole time and using the the firepower they have to, to fight off the bad guys and uh, stuff. But it's It seems a bit simple i don't know it's missing um it's really missing something and you look at how this movie performed i just think the the public had too many terminator movies i think the latest thing that's happening with it is uh, netflix is trying to do a terminator anime series they've been doing a lot of those lately because animation is a lot cheaper than live action and you can keep it going during the pandemic um although i mean i don't think that was part of the plan
1: well, right. you know what I think. I think part of it is 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 that you know there there have always been been themes and subtext going on throughout throughout the movies, um, and particularly like Terminator Genesis, despite all of its numerous failings, it was at least trying to have some sort of commentary on social media, mm-hmm. and I feel like this movie is going out of its way to have absolutely no subtext whatsoever. You know, despite despite the fact that. All the parts are there, like the stuff with the the robot, the the au- heavily automated car factory in Mexico, and all the stuff with like the drones patrolling the U.S. border that comes up around halfway through, and like you know, and the industrialization with like the the uh, the hydroelectric p- power plant at the dam. Like I feel like, like all those things are there, waiting to be used to comment to to comment on our current relationship with technology particularly technology as it pertains to surveillance and warfare but this film refuses to do it and i think that the film is poorer for it
0: even terminator 3 had a lot of business with drones and um you know different models of the robots and things and uh being developed at the the skynet location um it's been a while since i've seen it but it, yeah it it just seems be a bit kind of simple and I I don't want to say low stakes exactly and I I do like the the final fight in particular and the the T-800's final line of dialogue I think works well and and the look of the the uh, double exoskeleton where it's more like black instead of the the metal look the chrome look is, is good but I its movie just did not feel like it was needed to be done uh, even stranger with the marketing you know they kept driving james cameron james cameron well for terminator genesis in the marketing they wouldn't shut up about the quote from james cameron where he's like oh this is one of the sequels it's actually really good i like this one right. And and you know and, I- and then this one james cameron has his actual involvement and then he was kind of throws the sequels under the bus or Linda hamilton did in particular um and I was like, well, wait a second. You kind of did this last time. What-
1: Matt, I've got a great idea for a podcast. You and me, we watch movies, right? And some of them are kind of bad, and so we make fun of them. But maybe some of them are good. Chris, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And eat snacks. Movie Fighters, an original idea on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Oh, boy. I can't wait for Future History 101 today.
0: I hear Prof Timesworth is going to teach us about World War Six
1: gather round students it is time to learn podford university where history and future are the same class available on itunes spotify and everywhere you get podcasts yeah oh. and also i think there's this oh sorry you go oh. No, my comment is not about the behind-the-scenes stuff. So you you go on.
2: Well, I guess also like a thing too is that like, I know I keep referencing this, but like the twenty eighteen Halloween is that like when that came out, it had this kind of like self conscious error of like you know disregard all the other movies. This is, takes place. This takes place after the first one or first two ones, or and the same thing with this Terminator is you know disregard three, four, and five. This is the definitive one. And there's always this kind of, like, end of, like, the sense of, like, finale to it, you know? Like, this is the authoritative, you know, um, capper to the Terminator films. But, like, if this is remotely successful, we know there will probably be a Terminator 2024 or something like that. You know what I mean? Oh, like, Oh, there will be when, a
1: Terminator 2024 regardless of the success of this movie because everyone wants oh, that yeah. T1 and T2 money.
2: Oh, of course. Yeah, definitely. And that's it's a little I think uh, one of the film's detriments is that it's just a little too self-conscious because it is it kind of has to be self-conscious. And like the fact you said, like when you said it feels a little lean, the way it doesn't acknowledge the previous films in, in of itself is another self-conscious move. It's like not being self-conscious is just as self-conscious as being self You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As, as it's not conscious of the other films, it's like not making a reference is making a reference. So you're kind of locked into this like referential Catch-22. It's a strange place to be in, but it definitely has a negative effect on the film, I feel.
1: You know the, the closest the closest this movie ever really comes to making a statement uh, is with uh, is with uh, Felipe uh, Danny's uncle, who's a coyote who smuggles people across the border. One thing I did appreciate is that he is portrayed with a lot of humanity. Uh, he, he's not portrayed as some some horrible criminal or 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 some or, or, or some like outlaw. Like he's he like they kind of portray coyote as just being a legitimate job. Uh, which I kind of appreciate, and and also when they get over the border into the United States, portraying uh, the border patrol as just kind of a bloated, a very <laughs> a very bloated and unnecessary uh, government agency. I mean, I with with all the shit that happened over the past four years, I, I, like this is the only movie I've seen where they do sh- where they show where they show ice routing people up and throwing them in cages, uh, which is th- th- what that agency goddamn does. Um, but but th- th- this movie doesn't have the conviction to keep going with that, with that thread.
2: Yeah, it hangs out in the neighborhood, but it doesn't move in. Um, I appreciate that it does hang out, though, and it does. This is very much a 2019 film. You know what I mean? This is yeah. very much a movie. You know, if somebody watches it 30 years from now, and they, off the top of their head, they'll say, like, this was probably made between 2016 and 2020, <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? It's like when you watch, like, The Conversation or, like, the, like, uh, those, like, Alan Pacala movies from, like, Parallax View, you, can, you know it was, like, 70-something, Watergate era, you know?
1: So, so, so I think... Gr- uh, something I need to say about Grace. Um, so, one one thing, I've been waiting this whole series for this to happen. Um... Uh, is, you know, it, it always seems sort of like whenever we've seen somebody transition in from the future in one of these films, it's always kind of in a little out-of-the-way place, but there's always this neat collateral damage because of the way, like, the time bubble sort of burns away things. This is the first time we've seen th- that, you know, maybe it's hard to aim the time machine because her time bubble appears quite literally in the <laughs> middle of a bridge, and she just falls, like, 20 feet Falls forty feet, hitting girders all the way down to land in a riverbank. Um, which, which was that was that's a great introduction. You get a lot of sympathy for her immediately from the way she falls down, and and the whole deal with Grace is that you know she was one of uh, she was one of the revolutionaries in the future. She took she got a mortal wound and volunteered for some experimental progress where they enhance her body, so she's a human. She's a she's a human cyborg with essentially all the b- powers of a Terminator. Plus, she's really fast and can like has analytical sight or whatnot. Um, and we've kind of seen this in past. I mean, we saw this in what was it the fourth movie? We kind of saw this with the guy that had the the human heart in a Terminator body. Uh, so yeah, so like we're sort of retreading way. ground. Except I liked that this character vol- like truly volunteered for this procedure, knowing exactly what would happen to her. The one thing, though, this is such a mixed bag because they have this running gag where, you know, her body's loaded up with technology a human body is just not meant to have. So she's always running very hot and she always has to inject herself with different drugs and things um, to keep her body going, Which, which, you know... Which kind of make, makes a sort of amount of sense. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure, like once you get to a point with overclocking your body and loading it with cybernetics, you probably would need medication to keep your body from rejecting the implants and, and and working. But you know, two two problems. One, why can't one of her cybernetic implants be an automatic medicine injector to keep her going? Right. And...
2: I think it's one of those things where, like, we have to reject to a, to a certain point, like the theory of like a perpetual motion machine. You know, like that, like the we'd have to accept that there's like some perfect engineering uh, loophole out there. And I think it's just one of those cyclical things where it's like. No matter what, you have to reju- regenerate somehow. You know what I mean?
1: Well, well, I mean, I think, I think, because you could still like, even if she has like an automatic medicine injector in her body, it, it's you could still have her need to cool down after she uses her powers and like, you know, ice herself down or whatnot, or go go dormant. You know that you could still, you could still have those moments of vulnerability that that her needing the medicine create, even with the the injector. But, but two. Her needing to inject herself with medicine only happens when the plot demands it. Oh, totally. (laughs) I mean, there's plenty (laughs) of times where she's apparently at her limit, but then keeps going and suffers no ill effects. And then anytime she needs medicine, they always have it on hand. They can always just grab it off the shelf. Like It's It's such a a non-complication and non-conflict. I feel there's so many more elegant ways to handle that.
2: It's like when you drive by, like, a restaurant you like, you suddenly get hungry. It's like, <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. like that it's like, oh, like, I didn't know I needed any medicine until, oh, right now, when we're next to a pharmacy. Well, I could <laughs> sure
1: go for some nyla uh,
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: right, I mean, I think
2: overall,
0: <laughs> but, like, overall, to kind of wrap this up, like, Terminator Dark Fate, I'd give a sequel no to. Like, there's some nice ideas here. It just doesn't do enough, and it seems... Especially when, when the last film, Terminator Genesis, which I really liked, it, it really seemed kind of bold with where it was going with the story and, and uh, tried to you know lean more into the sci-fi angle. This one, it's tries to make things a bit too simple. I think the acting is good. You have some good action, uh, I think towards the end it gets. I really like that showdown um in, in the final setting, but it doesn't quite make it. It's missing something. It's the ending is a bit too pat. And, it feels uh, a
1: little rushed,
0: yeah. Yeah, it feels kind of rushed. Uh, so this is not one of my favorites, um, Thrasher.
1: Well, you know, something we we haven't flat out spelled out is the big. I mentioned there's sort of a half twist. Well, we come to find out, everyone in the movie is sort of, or most people in the movie are operating under the assumption that Danny is going to have a kid who's going to be the new John Connor in the future, and it turns out, no, Danny is going to be the revolutionary leader who brings down the computer that built the Rev-9, and so that was nice, you know, Then that that goes in with this being a more uh, more woman-led movie. Uh, I'm going to give this the slightest of sequel yeses. This movie is loaded with problems. It fails to have the resonance or the subtext that makes uh, the first two films in the series work. That being said, I do enjoy the story, uh, I do enjoy the performances, and I do enjoy the characters a hell of a lot. So that overall, it was worth my time watching this movie, dis- despite its flaws, because the, the the performances and the characters truly worked, even if the story itself uh, didn't and the and the themes did not. So marginal sequel, yes. And Alex, there's
2: one thing I wanted to touch on real quick, and um, like we were talking about, like uh, hardware and firepower and stuff like that. One thing I appreciate about this film is that I one thing I always kind of scratch my head with is that while I really do enjoy like you know gun related um, uh, movie violence, you know, like give me some John Woo, I'm a happy boy. Um, It does touch on a thing where. If these things are so strong and pelting them with bullets really doesn't do anything, what's the point? And while you do have a lot of great, you know, um, like, you know, action gun related action scenes that are really cool, you do have a lot more like kind of like grassroot like fighting. Like, you know, there's sledgehammers, rebar uh, chains, you know, like they're <laughs> jamming do someone's kind of... head
1: into a turbine.
2: Exactly. Yeah. There's a more like a uh, grounded sense of uh, like organic hardware going on here, which I really dug. Um, and I think that is a good contrast to the other films as well. Um, yeah, there's definitely some problems. That it's far from perfect, um, but I did enjoy it quite a bit. Um, an interesting evolution of the series, despite my blind spot with uh, Part Five. Um, I will give it a sequel. Yes, I thought it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, and its uh, its its virtues make up for its flaws. I think, and a few other uh, patchy scenes, but. Yeah, I I just feel like if you're going to put this much work into a movie, give it a couple more years and really kind of, you know, get a more solid foundation to develop on. Because I can kind of see where the patches are, and that's something that I can't say for the first two Terminators. And also, James Cameron, if you're going to be this involved (laughs) with the Terminator movie, why not make another one? Because he's busy
1: making three avatars.
2: Exactly. And also, if he does, he'll blemish his, like, perfect record, basically, at this point. Like, if he makes a box office flop, it'll be the first one he's ever had, and he can't have that because he's James Cameron, damn it. You know?
0: I mean, apparently, you know, during the the making of it, Tim Miller rejected a lot of James Cameron's ideas, and uh, James Cameron let that happen because he knew he, at the end of the day, he's not the director. Uh, Oh, totally. uh, there's a lot of you know deleted scenes that are basically character moments uh, on the, the Blu-ray version on the D V D version. So who who knows? It's um you know it's kinda sad to see it keep <clears throat> having these, these is- issues like this, the series, but you know maybe the, the anime thing will be cool. I just think they need to give it a rest with uh, with Terminators and so forth. But let's do pitch a sequel. Um something that comes to mind with me is They've done so many sequels in so many different ways. What do you do that's uh, to make it sort of different? And how many and, of
1: the other sequels do you ignore?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. I think for, for me, I would like to go way into the past in a, a T-800, um, but he's modified to, to just mainly use flamethrowers, uh, get sent to um, medieval England. And when uh, you know the, the knights and so forth see this T eight hundred, they think it's a dragon because it spews fire.
1: If I may ask, why is it sent to medieval England?
0: Um, that'll be due to some plot twist at <laughs> a, a, at the end of the film. <laughs> like like maybe it's revealed that the uh, the castle where the final showdown happens is like this Gaelic word that translates into Skynet.
1: Well, I was just thinking, you know, well, maybe is it bitter. is very difficult to aim the time machine. Maybe the Skynet <laughs> had to send a few test Terminators back in time to calibrate it to send one to the right time and place. Yeah,
0: maybe the time machine it could overload with an electrical failure, like lightning could strike it. There could be something <laughs> to mess up the time, but it would be called uh, Ye Old Terminator.
2: <laughs> All the Terminators have killed. <laughs> uh, Alex. Oh geez, there's so many uh possibilities here. Um so one thing I was thinking of is that with this one, like, you know, even though Skynet's uh defeated, you get another one and then they send back their own Terminators. So with this one it becomes uh, you know, the same thing, so they demolish whatever you know, a system that sent these, the Rev-9 or whatever. And then, you know, obviously another corporation will come in that one's place and that one's place. And then basically what happens is that these like corporate overlords in the future, um, those, these like robotic corporate overlords of the future are just finding so goddamn fun to make dueling Terminators and watch them beef, you know, duke it out on the, in, you know, in the past where they basically are just competing with one another And trying to one up one another. So basically, you have all these different timelines, and you have like a series of greatest hits from different uh, iterations of Skynet, and watching the various Terminators where you have like cube shaped ones, and humanoid shaped ones, and like octopod shaped ones, and stuff like that. It's basically just a a non linear clip show of of cyborgs beating the shit out of each other. And it'll just be called Terminator Scrapbook. Fuck the story.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Thrasher.
1: All right. So serious pitch. Uh, So so at this point, we need to get we need to do a Terminator movie that does not have time travel and does not have the future. So instead, all the Terminator corpses that 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 uh, Sarah Connor has been leaving across the country, they've all been gathered uh, and gathered in one particular laboratory where the scientists are trying to figure out what's the deal with these different robots from the future. And so, you know, they're poking at him, they're tinkering with them. they accidentally reactivate one. So this busted-ass reactivated Terminator starts repairing the other busted-ass Terminators and starts reactivating them. It is effectively a zombie movie, except the zombies are all different models of malfunctioning Terminators trying to repair themselves. And they're just <laughs> killing anybody who gets between them and the spare parts they need to try to bring themselves back to full functioning. Um, and to and, and this goes to the point where they, if they end up in an electronics store, they will flat out start building new Terminators using like local local technology. So you'll have Terminators that look kind of like the good robot uss from from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Uh, nice. And and this will sort of. But, but but we'll do it just like a zombie movie where we just sort of follow sort of a, a small group of survivors caught in the middle of this, uh, and eventually, eventually they will all uh, all of course all the zombie terminators will be destroyed when some big EMP is released or whatever. Uh, joke joke pitch. Uh, we do an interquel about Carl, uh, where Carl teams up. With another 80s robot, Johnny Five, and they have a cross-country road trip where Johnny Five teaches T-800 how to be alive. (laughs) Come on, buddy. We're going to take you to Tijuana and get you laid.
0: Well, despite not (laughs) having uh, genitals.
1: No, no, he has genitals. They just don't work.
0: I see. Well, maybe they can make it work. He can use his... that, uh...
1: That being said, oral's a distinct possibility.
0: Well, Indeed. I didn't need that thought this early in the morning, but uh sit okay. on
1: me if you want to orgasm.
0: God. Okay. <laughs> so One, on to uh, oh, sorry. what you're watching. There's you know, we it's been a little bit since we've recorded an episode. We've had some stuff pop up. I it's been a lot, but um I, I did I do want to mention I did finish Alan versus Pharaoh on HBO, the the kind of miniseries documentary. Mm-hmm about the uh, oh, yeah. infamous uh, Woody Allen Mia Farrow case. Uh, Alex and I have been talking a lot offline about it or online, I guess oh, the yeah. messenger. And uh, it is um, it's disturbing. Uh, what, what surprised me is they have a companion podcast that even has more disturbing stuff that let out of the show. Oh, wow! And um, it's, it's well done. I, I learned a lot because I was really a kid when all that stuff initially was going on. Um, and it has a pretty damning montage of of people sort of defending him at the end, and I, I do like they talk to a guy who's a, a a film critic who Woody Allen was his favorite director, and he he sort of makes a decision not to, you know, like of his not to review his films anymore or or something like that. But I think it's interesting they have that kind of perspective, but just all the audio of recorded phone calls and. A vintage video from the time is is pretty astonishing.
2: Yeah, it's a pretty haunting experience, and like I think I mentioned, like I said, we'd chat about this um, online, our off episode, off mic. And I think there's been like two other viewing experiences that have actually made me physically ill, and that was the Leaving Neverland documentary mm. and um, mm-hmm. this other kind of documentary, uh, The Killing of America. Um, and like uh, I had the same. Reaction to parts of uh of Alan v Farrow was that it actually like if, like made me physically Ill, like I felt nauseous after uh certain points in it um and it's just uh you know I guess it's part effective uh filmmaking but also just a part that just it's disturbing content you know what i mean it's it's uh, not pleasurable
0: well, and that's really strange i mean as to capitalize on it, but Paramount plus is premiering an interview they shot. Uh, last, sometime last year to um, coincide with the Woody Allen's memoir, Apropos of Nothing. Uh, and Paramount Plus is like, we're having this exclusive Woody Allen interview you can watch in our service. And it's like, is now the time to do that, really? Like, Yeah, right? It, Come on. They could wait <laughs> like a year or something. I don't know. I mean, I guess that wouldn't change people's thoughts about him, but because he was set to film something yeah. right before the pandemic in uh, France but it's yeah um, I think it
2: just came out
0: uh, yeah Yeah. Uh, and I I think what really surprised me is I had always assumed Woody Allen and Mia Farrow were married but they weren't Um,
2: yeah that was another big thing right I always made that assumption too and also like you said you were young when the whole controversy happened and it's like you asked someone what it's like, what was the Woody Allen controversy? They just kind of shrug it off, like, oh, he, like, I don't know, like, married his daughter or some shit, you know, and it's like, whatever, and just kind of go about their day. And then when you actually, like sit down and get the details, it's, like, you know, kind of jarring, you know, that everyone was so quick to be, like, you know, to defend him or to, you know, um, rationalize his behavior, you know, it's like, do you love Annie Hall that much? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's just kind and, of. Um, and, shaming, and they right? use
0: the clips from the Woody Allen's audiobook with, with him reading it of his memoir because, you know, he wouldn't speak on camera for this, uh, obviously. And it um it's pretty damning because he talks about, you know, like the first time he he kisses uh, uh, Soon Yi. Oh, boy, yeah. And he's like, "We're uh, watching in a Theater," and I, I reach my arm around it, and I do a smooth move. If I do say so myself, oh. it's like, "Wow!" Oh. Like... So yeah, there's think, that. Uh, it's it's an exhausting watch, but it, it's well made. But I, I've had a few friends online tap out after the first episode, and I don't blame them. Like I can, yeah, it's it's just a lot.
2: Yeah, and um, it was just I remember just being like. The, that part of the memoir, him reading it, you know, it's like, I made a move. It's uh, it's just, it's a, one is so pompous and blowhardy. It's like, we just watch Igma Bergman's The Seventh Seal. It's like, you need to <laughs> clarify that, right? You know, like, Steven Spielberg's E.T. You know, <laughs> like, oh, Bergman did The Seventh Seal? Thank you. Also, too, it's like, you're not, this isn't like bogey and Bacall, which is another age-inappropriate relationship, mind you. You know what I mean? Like, mm. you're painting this in such a tainted, romanticized light, and um, it's really not translating. You're very tone-deaf for someone who's, uh, you know, such an accomplished um, asset and musician. Um And just even, like, the writing of his memoir, it almost seems like a publicity move in so many ways, you know? It's like... I'm. If my movies weren't enough effort to try and rationalize age, inappropriate relationships and uh, women are not falling in love with but submitting to men, I'm going to write this, like, you know, freaking self-inflated freaking biography, you know, at the same time. It's just enough. Yeah. Ugh.
0: Thrasher, what have you been watching?
1: so i uh I decided to to dip back into i'm like rewatching things from my youth to see whether they they hold up or not so uh going back to my extensive history with USAs up all night uh I tracked down the vice academy series, which hey, if we ever want to do a weird exploitation series, we might as well cover it here um but the vice academy series were a whole series of of Action comedies, each of those words being in their own quotation marks um, about young women who work for a city's uh, vice division in in the police department. Uh, A lot of the cast made up of current or former uh, adult film stars of the era Um, The series, ran. this franchise was churning out movies. There's six movies uh, going from 1988 to 1998, so a full decade. Um, And they are written, directed, and produced by Richard Sloan, who some of you may remember as the writer, director, producer of Hobgoblins from the MST3K Season 9 episode Hobgoblins. So if you've seen Hobgoblins, you already know the kind of movie this is. And
0: are these direct to video?
1: They they were well, I don't know if they hit video or or cable first, but they were a staple of of like both uh Cinemax and USA's Up All Night uh throughout the nineties.
0: Mm, okay. And like
1: they're they're not as comedies, they're not all that funny. Uh, as erotic thrillers, they're not all that erotic or thrilling. Um, like if you, if if you like seeing people in bikinis, there's in lingerie, there's a whole lot of that. But we have other sources for that, uh, you know, in the in the world. The a lot of the comedy is very very strained, and yet the actors are giving it their all. I, I don't know how to explain it, but everyone on screen seems very committed to the part they have, no matter how poorly written. everybody is just pushing their acting choices to the rafters interesting what's this called again uh vice academy uh and oh, and this is what's so weird is that is that like as because like in like the first like the first two like uh vice academy 1 and 2 like they eventually get around to introducing antagonists who sort of in the classic batman style or like gangsters or, or or criminals with like very specific gimmicks like the first one the when they finally get around to it, the antagonist is this like woman who produces and distributes pornographic films called Queen Bee, who just has like a big bee hair hairstyle and like this stinger she wears for no adequately explained reason. Uh, and and like they kind of ramp that up to the point where they do start facing off against actual supervillains. And there's like a RoboCop character that gets introduced at some point. But then by the time you get to six. Like like Rick okay, let me understand like Rick Stone phones it in. Rick Stone texts it in for the final film Vice Academy Six, where the whole plot is two of the Vice Academy cops go to the bank to deposit payroll money at the exact same time that women in bikinis rob it and somehow they get framed for it. But then at the end, they're not framed anymore, and that's it. Like it is such a tossed off thrown together like if you told me there was no script i'd believe you i will say the one thing thought. that stands out is about halfway through the series karen knots don knots's daughter uh plays a secretary and dispatcher at the police department and damned if she isn't hilarious like she's 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 the only legitimately funny person giving a legitimately funny performance every time she's on camera. But there's a weird running gag where like she keeps talking about having like a live-in boyfriend that she keeps wanting to to get back to, and every time she talks about him, her dialogue implies that he's that he's younger than her. But the more dialogue there is, like it gets disturbingly young. Like, I feel like the last time she references her live boyfriend, she's like, it like, she, uh, she has to, she has to drive him to little league after school. And that is oh. f- fucking disturbing. <laughs> Even as a tasteless joke. Oh my goodness! So this was part of USA's Up All Night. Yeah, yeah, it was frequently screened ah. as, as part of that series. I can't, I can't really recommend it unless you really want to see what mid '90s sleaze was like before we had internet pornography. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I remember right. that being such a forbidden taboo thing.
0: And uh, Alex, what's something you've been watching?
2: Um. I, it was actually funny because after um, the Alan V. Faro thing, like I needed like a therapeutic like answer, so I needed like I ordered a lot of like pastoral British films, like Ackenfield and stuff like that, where you have you know very well dressed, beautiful people wandering around beautiful fields, you know, skimming the wheat with their hands in the sunset and shit like that. So I just kind of blind bopped this film called Requiem for a Village, and it turns out this is like it's I I was almost reluctant to bring it up because it's so kind of impossible to synopsize but in a in a nutshell the plot literally reads as um an idyllic rural uh past of a suffolk village comes to life through the memories of an elderly grave digger and it's not really a horror film but in a way it's like the ultimate like pastoral british horror film like folk horror film like penda's fenn or like the wicker man or something more recent like and like there aren't really any characters or much of a narrative to speak of, but it's like these little, like, uh, like folksy moments of like, you know, like four dudes making like a, um, a wheel to a wagon, a wagon wheel, you know, um, someone making bread, uh, you know, someone like cutting grain. And it's like juxtaposed with like images of people literally rising from their graves. And it's like, it's at first I was like, what the hell is this? What am I watching? Is this a movie? Is this a documentary? What am I getting into? And then it kind of works this really kind of like subliminal spell on you. And it's like a little freaky, a little weird, but it's like very engaging in that it's a complete different thing. Uh, it's really almost impossible to, to describe. Um, like there's little moments where like a kid hangs like a frog from a tree and then goes down like weeks later and takes one of its bones and puts it in the shoe of a horse. <laughs> like where did this come from you know like what am i watching um it's part of it was like this n- n- you know seen by no one movie that was made by that guy who edited lindsey anderson films and thanks to the mm-hmm. uh bfi flipside series they kind of specialize in weird british oddities um recently released it on uh blu-ray and it's a bewildering fascinating experience i would recommend to anyone who is uh has an appetite for strange shit <laughs> it's called yeah requiem for a village
0: that no, sounds interesting uh, You know, anything with the Requiem in the title, you know, does bring to mind that sort of uh, Merchant Ivory kind of Oh British, yeah, of course uh, so. Setting Although, when I mentioned uh, Requiem, the first thing my mind goes to is Alien versus Predator Requiem
2: Oh yes, it's how could we forget? One of the
0: oddest uh, subtitles of the movie Okay, great So um, Next time, we will be... Oh, wait. Nope, we got to do the sequel scene. (laughs) Why don't you uh, set the stage, Thrasher?
1: Uh, Let me see. Oh, yeah, so this is based on the voiceover that happens when we see Grace's flashback flashback to the future, Marty, uh, where it is finally revealed that Danny is the revolutionary who brings down the robots and not Danny's son.
0: Okay, and who's going to be who?
1: Uh, I guess I'll, I'll do Sarah Connor.
0: Okay. Alex, Let's who do you want to be?
1: I'll be Danny.
0: Okay, I'll be Grace. Um, I don't know how I made it through the next few tiers. Is that years? What does it say, tiers? It's got to be a typo. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how I made it through the next few years. I just try not to think about it. But I got lucky. Someone found me, saved me, and then we started fighting back.
1: And let me guess, Daddy gives birth to the one man who can stop it. What? The future wants you dead for the same reason it wanted me dead.
2: But I'm nothing. I'm
1: nobody. Yeah, you're not the threat. It's your womb. Fine. Let someone else be Mother Mary for a while.
0: If you're Mother Mary, why do I so want to beat the shit out of you?
1: I was trying to go for a <laughs> Doris growl voice. So I think I failed horribly.
0: It sound. You sounded a bit like the um, the mother in Psycho. Oh
1: yeah, Norman. Oh yeah, what? Norman. You filthy
2: little boy, Norman.
0: Dirty pillows. <laughs> uh. <laughs>
2: They're not so, there too.
0: Yeah. Um So what are we doing next time? <laughs> next time we are looking at the Hobbit trilogy, uh, specifically the extended versions. I think, you know, way back when we did uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, really early on in the sequel cast and uh and the, the kind of the cartoon versions and you know, this time this is the the live action Peter Jackson Jackson, excuse me, um Hobbit films that had uh, mediocre acclaim. I, I think it'll be neat to see, you know, how they stretch out a 200-page children's book to uh, three films. And two
1: films, then three films.
0: Two films, <laughs> then that's right. It was announced as two films initially, and uh, how they force connections to Lord of the Rings, which aren't in there really. Um, so yeah, I think it's uh, it'll be interesting and fun to talk about the the book means a lot to me, so to talk about. How they did this as a movie, what they got right, what they got wrong, I think should be pretty entertaining.
2: Fun bit of trivia. I was shit faced when I saw the first two <laughs> movies, so it'll be fun to
1: uh, oh, yeah? revisit them did for you the more stuff. Yeah.
0: Did you sneak a flask into the theater?
1: or Are you imbibing some of it that like hobbit a... pipe weed? <laughs> When the second one came
2: out, it was like we had got, like, been off of work uh, that night and we were like all half in the bag. And someone had the brilliant idea, like, let's go see the new Hollywood movie, man, like midnight screening Thursday night. So we all thought that was a brilliant idea. and We were just obnoxiously drunk and not sober mm. through. Most, I barely remember it, to be honest with you. So I'm eager to revisit this.
0: Yeah. And it'll be the extended cuts. Um so, those have a lot of extra scenes, including musical sequences that were deleted from the first film. So, and oh. the extended cut of the third one is rated R, even. So, Ooh. for orc headlopping, I believe.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you can follow me on Twitter at M A T W B T. My new book, Podcast You Nerd, is available on Amazon, on Kindle, and paperback. And I'm finally putting the the finishing touches on the audiobook that took much longer than I expected because uh, I had to edit it and then remaster it myself to the uh, Audible's um, audio standards, which can be a bit finicky.
1: Well, you can follow me on Twitter, at Internet Mayor. My latest book, 100 Oddities for a Dungeon, is available on DriveThroughRPG.com. It is also available direct from the publisher at Skirmisher.com. And
2: uh, you can find me on the Twitter at CrabNebula1914, and check out my YouTube channel, The Trailer Project. It started as Trailer Commentaries, but we're just kind of doing whatever. Um, random essay films about anything from, from uh, uh, Soviet history to uh, animated image sequences. So yeah, so yeah, check it out.
0: So for Sequel Cast 2, this is Matt.
1: this is The Rasher. This is The This is Alex. Alex. Same. Same. I changed diapers without complaint.